Today's scripture reading comes from the first book of Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, and verses 13 through 16. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verses 13 through, th 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you will also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And from the second book of Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. This is the word of the Lord. We are in part six of our series, Most Deeply Human. And um, in some ways, I kind of feel like this is a long, it's like an extended Bible study, because as you can see, I'm preaching through the same text uh, week in and week out. And this week, in, in many ways, <clears throat> is kind of a building of last week's message. And in last week's message, um, I gave you this quote, this very deep and profound quote from C.S. Lewis, where he said <clears throat> that God probably does not find our desires too strong, yet too weak. And that our desires are often like, like the way he put it was like building, we want this desire to build like a mud pie in a sandbox when we don't realize that the Lord has something like a day at the beach offered to us, something far more glorious. <clears throat> and so that's what I've been trying to do in so many different ways. A lot of these sermons are building up for the points, these last couple points I'm trying to make to you. Um, and don't worry, we still have plenty more to go in this sermon series, okay? And we're going to shift away from these texts soon. But one of the things I've been seeing in our culture is that there's all these identities that, that are trying to capture us. And almost all these identities don't have anything to do with God. And people think that they're going to have this identity and then they're going to have this great story in their life, especially young people, and they don't realize that they are building what C.S. Lewis would say is a mud pie life, a mud pie identity. What you want is too small. 
And what I'm hoping to do with these messages is to help you come to realize that the competing stories and narratives of our time and the identities that it's trying to attract you into you, it's really, it's, it's, it's not much. And in fact, it's far too small. So let's get into today's message. <clears throat> Part one, desiring glorious and worthy, yet easy and comfortable. Hmm. I think that's what the world wants today. We have this kind of schizophrenic and hypocritical mind, especially I see some of the young people today. We want something more worthy of our life. And, and there's, and there's this, uh, this word that a lot of young people use. We, I want, I'm looking for something authentic. What they mean is authentically big, authentically heroic, authentically good. And yet somehow they also want it to be easy and comfortable. I want to talk a little about that. Okay, it's part one. And part two, a compelling life becoming divine and holy like Jesus. A compelling life becoming divine and holy like Jesus. And uh, no part three. Okay, that's it. Okay, I think those two are big enough. And like last week, only two parts. Um. Give me a sec here. I need to drink water, okay? Let's get into it. All right. Um, I've been talking about multiple identities. And some of the big ones are, I said this last week quoting Tim Keller, the therapeutic identity. What that means is you have this feeling in your life. It's, it's thera Therapeutic is often about what you feel and what you want. So you have this feeling in your life about something you like and you care about, and then you think, I can build everything on that. In an earlier message, I asked this question, what is the foundation of your identity? I mean, you probably have multiple things going on. What's the foundation of your identity? And a lot of the people today who don't believe in God, Jesus, there's no word outside of the secular system. There's no Bible. There's no holy or above word. Really, we just kind of fall back into our own intuitions and feelings and desires. But um, what I want to let you know is, and I've been saying this in so many different ways, but you, who you are as a human being, it's far too big for you to figure out just from your own feelings. Okay, just like if you think your own feelings and your own intuitions from your own therapeutic desires, you can make your own identity you are really seriously in trouble. You're going to disappoint yourself. You just don't know it yet. Maybe you're 15 or 25 or 35, and you're like, I haven't been disappointed yet. Just wait. You're going to be really, really disappointed, and you're in for a really, really seriously rude awakening because the human being is far too big and far too complex and far too glorious to turn into like, Okay, I'm going to become a truly great engineer and build the next great something. Okay, if, that, if that's what you want to do, that's a good thing, but it's not enough. It's not enough for your identity. Oh, I'm going to become this really, really great parent. I'm going to have, like, wonderful kids. It's not as much about my career. It's not about making money. I'm going to have these incredible kids. So everything in your life revolves around, like, making your kids turn out perfect. Let me tell you something, it's going to seriously, that's not big enough. It's not enough. 
So who you are is you're trying to shove your identity into something small. <laughs> it's what C.S. Lewis said. It's a mud pie. It's too small. It's not enough. It's a good thing to do, but it can't be your identity. And this is, a, this is the challenge of life. There's so many good things calling for our attention and our energy, but really who you are as a human being has to engage all these multiple things and no one of them can be the bottom most important thing. As soon as that becomes your identity, you've turned it into an idol. You've turned it into something that's far too small. You're taking something small and trying to make it into something bigger than it can be. So that's, just, that's the therapeutic one. Um, some other common ones, race and ethnicity. So that's a really common one today. It's in our politics, but really, every time you hear about race and the stuff that your companies are trying to put into you, your schools are trying to put into you, I want you to hear this. Okay, it's about politics, but actually it's about religion. They're preaching a religion because they're preaching identity. They're telling you, if we do this, we'll get to a non-racist society, and then everything is going to be great. It's not going to work. And they're really selling you an identity. That identity is way too small. There's no way that who you are, the most important thing is your race. There's no way. And actually, your ethnicity isn't even big enough. So more than even race, which is, I think, somewhat more realistic, might be your culture. So if you think, you know, like, okay, I'm going to just be a really good Chinese person. I'm going to be a really good Korean person. I'm going to be a really good Mexican person. Okay, how about this? A lot of the reaction to the race and ethnicity are for people who are angry because, well, we're, we're Americans, and they want to reassert a certain kind of Americanness. That's not big enough either. <laughs> so that's a, another alternative kind of identity and story arc that's being offered to you. All these things are reductive and small. It's going to disappoint you and even possibly ruin, break and destroy you, your marriage, and your children. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. It's, I'm, I'm being serious. It's already breaking our culture. Um, I want to get into this. Let me just review this portion. So, so much of what we're trying to do, what I've been doing is, I've, I've taken five sermons, so that now today I can say this, okay? And so, let's just review a little bit here. Verse 3, it says that you are offered through being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Here's it, here it is. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And I want to ask you this question right now. Do you want imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? Is that what you really, really want in your life? And when I ask you that question, I don't want you to say it like, well, of course I do. Who doesn't want that? Because everybody can say lip service to wanting that. But then when you actually run around in your life, what do we actually do? We, we spend all this time and energy saying, I, I, I want to get into this school. <laughs> oh, I, I, I got to get this girlfriend. Or I'm going to be a part of this cause, and this cause is what's going to be important. Or, or my politics is what's, what's going to really, really be important. But if you really think about all those things, can they offer you something that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading? No. No. 
even as good as all those things are, a great career, a really good family, a really good marriage, a wonderful nation, a really good culture, make my culture work out really, really well, it isn't big enough, not even close. What you're offered is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And I've said in a previous message that that is pretty much a really great short term for holiness. And I knew that I was really, you know, like kind of in an uphill battle. These messages are intended to make you want holiness. Make you, stir in you a desire for holiness. So here's what it says. Verse 14 and 15 of chapter 1, verse Peter. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So passion is always a bad word in the Bible. It's like disordered desire. Your desire is like overflowing with something. It's all messed up. So you just didn't know. You were ignorant that there was something better in life, something greater that is offered to you. So don't be conformed to these bad desires. Instead, here's what it says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, in all the aspects of your life. So let's put it this way. Seek holiness in your culture. Seek holiness in your parenting. Seek holiness in your career. Seek holiness in money. Seek holiness in sex. Seek holiness in all things and give the full totality of yourself to the great promises of God. That's what the Bible's calling you. The great gift that God wants to give you is nothing small like money or a great career or even like you go like, well, like, you know, a really good marriage. That wouldn't be small. It's still too small. <laughs> it's still too small. God is not interested in giving you something second best or third best or fifth best. You're like, just give me fifth best, God. <laughs> I, I, I just love like a great career, lots of money, great success. If I just have that, that would that, be good. And you know what the Lord's answer to you, if that's what you want? His answer is no. You know why? Because I made you to be human. I made you to partake in my glorious divine nature. And the biggest thing in my glorious divine nature is to be holy in all things. That's what he's calling for. And he will not give you less. He wants to only give you his best. So his love is so big, he's calling you to say, trust me, I've got something so much bigger for you. So put your whole life, your whole identity, and seek a destiny that's far bigger than anything the world could possibly offer you. So let's go to 2 Peter and I want, I want to just say a little bit in this text. And I've, we've read this multiple times, but now let me say a little something more about it, okay? Verse 4, okay. He has granted to us his precious and very great promises. He has granted to us his m- maximally magnificent promises, as I've said. So that through the promises, through, through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Same thing I said before. You're, you were at disordered passions, 
from your ignorance. So these are some of the biggest sinful desires we have. We want a small identity. We want a small destiny. We want a small story that C.S. Lewis would say, that's a mud pie. That's what we want. That's what you actually want. You and I, these are things we want. But what I want to challenge you today is to throw those desires away. And then tomorrow when they come back, because they're going to come back, throw it away again. And repent and throw it away again. And to hear this calling, these tremendous promises. Okay, now let me get into these verses. <laughs> let me get into these verses that I already know a lot of you are going to be afraid of. These verses that are, you're going to, oh gosh, I don't know about that. Okay? But here, here's what it says next. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So a lot of people think, I have faith. Isn't that all I need? In one sense, if you have faith, it is all you need. If faith leads you into such a deep trust, you will believe all these promises and pursue them. So from a practical point of view, let's put it this way. You have faith, but if you think of faith as just my doctrines and beliefs, there has to be far more than these things. Here are some of the things that shape and will help your faith grow and to flourish. So here we go. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. All kinds of virtues. Let me like, like pick one. Let me just pick one that almost all of us are terrible at. How about humility? How about humility? What is humility? Learning to forget yourself and focus on the other. Let me just define it that way. You just forget yourself. You're in total honesty and sincerity. You could just focus on the other person. That's what humility looks like. And almost all of us, we're horrible at it. <laughs> okay, just horrible. All right? How about that one? So, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And I hope I don't sound like a mean pastor here, but... You know, I, pastors are always trying to get you to, like, read the Bible more, right? <laughs> pastors are always trying to get you to, like, find out what's more in, in the Bible. I've been a pastor for, for many, many years. What I find is that the people who are Christians barely know what's in the Bible. And since they barely know what's in the Bible, you have nothing to counteract all the preaching and the falsity of the world. So when they're offering you a mud pie identity from the world, then... There's no, like, there's no, there's no, there's no kind of, like, vaccine against the disease, okay? There's a disease coming into your mind all the time, but there's no truth, knowledge from God that's, like, the vaccine that says, no, no, okay, whatever. <laughs> nah, okay, that, okay, that's false. And that will inoculate you against the disease. And so we're filled with worldliness, if you're filled with worldliness and worldly desires and worldly promises, we're living in the promises of the world. We love living in the promises of worldly identity. 
Just pick yours, whichever one yours, the therapeutic one, the race one, the political one, the ethnic one, whichever one, the parenting one, whichever one it is that's yours, it's worldly. If it's apart from Jesus and his maximally magnificent promises, it's like the disease is just coming into you. We're so worried about this disease, COVID-19, and yet we're so not anywhere nearly worried about the disease that's destroying our souls. So make every effort to supplement your faith virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control. Do you have self-control? So many people have lack of self-control. When I go on um, social media and I just see a la an angry tirade filled with condemnation, I just go, there's lack of self-control. This person just stuck these horrible words for the whole world to see such lack of self-control. And it comes out of our mouth. You know, we say terrible things to each other. Um, how, let me just offer one that's um, common. Do you drop F-bombs? Are you a, a, a user of profanity? That's a regular thing in your life. So your tongue is proving there's lack of self-control. Just, just, just that one. How about that one? Common. We live in a super coarse culture, and just bad language, just rotten, dirty language, is just normal, completely normal in our society. And yet, the Christians, we're like more of like that than something better. And so... And with knowledge, self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So, I need to get to part two of my message. Um, what does the pursuit of holiness look like? It looks like this. What does it look like? It looks like this. Are you good at this? I already know you're not. Guess what? I'm not, <laughs> okay? And I'm the pastor, okay? But before I go to part two, let me just say this. Pastor, brotherly love, brotherly affection. I don't have brotherly affection. I don't even want these people around in my life. What are you talking about? My own brother, I don't even have affection for him, right? But you know what we can do? We can repent. Not by performance, not just by your own personal efforts to try harder. You go back to the great promises of the gospel. The tremendous promises that the one who has risen from the dead will take all this bad identity, worldly disease, and put it to death on the cross. And in his great victory of resurrection, even though you and I fall down, and then we fall down, and then we fall down, you can fall down a hundred times, but you can get back up a thousand times through Jesus, through repentance, believing in the gospel. Okay, let me get to part two. I want to share with you an example. So last week I gave you an example because I can tell you these things. Some of you are listening to me. You're going like, oh, okay, uh, profanity, awful, Okay. And I'm saying those things to you, and I know some of these things are convicting to you. 
But if I tell you things that are convicting to you, and then I say, there's this great new adventure, tremendous adventure, glorious adventure God is offering to you, and somehow it's connected to holiness, you're like, that sounds really, really good, but it's going to feel abstract. And so I want to give you something like what it could look like. Something like what it could look like. And so last week, I gave you an example. Uh, I gave you the story of a really remarkable life. A life whose identity is built on Christ. Who had a tremendous destiny. One that he would never have guessed. And that was Chuck Colson. He grew up upper class in Boston. Went to Ivy League school. Had a successful career. And already... He was starting to hit midlife crisis and said, I have all the good stuff that the world has offered me, and it's already not enough. And then he became famous by wrecking his life, by going to prison through Watergate when he was serving a president who was doing some bad things, President Nixon. And then began... A great adventure, okay? That's the example I gave you. But I want to give you a, a different example because you're like, I'm not some Ivy League graduate. I'm not some high-powered lawyer. I'm not going to work for a president, pastor. That all sounds really, really good, but um, no chance. That's going to be me. So when you gave that story last week, I was like, great story, but didn't, didn't, didn't touch me. I already know so that's some of you. So I want to give you a different story today of, um, of another life. And um, I just want to, before I start telling this story, um, I want to iterate this verse, verse 7. Supplement godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. The reason I want to tell you this is because this person, probably if you ask this person, What's, what's their life all about? They would say something like this. In Christ, my faith, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, all the time, all the time, always, never going to stop doing that. That's what this person is like. Okay? So, um, okay. Let me start by um, telling you, giving you an intro introduction here. Here we go. So today, person, the person I want to talk to you about is um, somebody I know personally, and um, her name is Genevieve Gina. That's her sh for short, Jones. Genevieve Gina Jones, and no, she's not French. <laughs> she's Native American. So it's appropriate on the day that we ask you to consider going to Bishop. Um, I'll tell you about somebody who I dearly love and tremendously admire. And uh, Gina Jones is one of my favorite, favorite people from Bishop. And I'll tell you a little bit about her life. Um, I'm going to tell you some things that were, are pretty sensitive. And some of you are wondering, like, did she give permission to say so? She did. I talked to her last night. We had a really lengthy two-hour uh, um, FaceTime chat. And I told her about the series. I told her why I wanted to talk to her. And I asked 
her to share about her story arc, the life story arc, especially and how she became who she is. And um, she did not hold back because Gina is so, <laughs> if it's for other people, for Jesus, she'll do it. That's what she's like. That's what she's like. So let me begin. Um, she's in her early 60s. Uh, she was born on the Bishop Paiute Reservation. I, her father is a member of the, uh, of, the, of the Bishop tribe, and her mother is a member of the tribe that's 20 minutes south. 20 minutes south of Bishop is, a, is, a, is another reservation called Big Pine. And she actually lives in Big Pine and, um, today, and uh, that's, she's in her early 60s. And just let me tell you a little bit about her. Okay, she's, um, for, for a number of years, almost 10 years, she was um, a member of the tribal council of the Big Pine tribe. So she's not, she's not nobody. <laughs> she's a really important leader among her people. And for about four of those 10 years, she was the chair. She was the chairperson of that tribe, which is a really important point. That's really kind of like the top leader of her, of her tribe, okay? And so she's highly respected among her people, deeply trusted, and uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. Because if you meet her, and, you know, if you're like me, you will, it won't take long for you to be impressed. And it's not because she's like, I'm the leader. It's, it's, not, it's nothing like that. She's so, she's, she's kind of meek. And she's so gentle. And she's so humble. She's kind of like the grandma that you wish you had, okay? That's really what she's like. Except... She never talks to you with any condescension or looks down upon you. That's what she's like. I'm not kidding. She, I count it one of my great you know, joys in life that she is my friend, and I've known her for 10 years, and um, I cannot ever remember a time where I was like, Gina, ugh. <laughs> like literally zero. Every moment I've ever spent with her, it's really crazy. I, you just can't say this about almost anybody. Has been wonderful. <laughs> it's wild. All right? So what does holiness look like? I think it looks like Gina Jones. So let me tell you some other things about her. What does she do with her day job? She's the director of career planning at the Owens Valley Career Development Center. At there, it's on. She it's actually, she works in, in Bishop. Bishop is the biggest and most important reservation for like a 200-mile radius. One of the most important pieces of work that they do is through an agency called the OVCDC, the Owens Valley Career Development Center, and she's important there. She's the director of career planning there. So again, when I first met her, I had no idea she was that important, but she, and she would never tell you that she is. And um, other things. She's a mother of four. She's a grandmother. And she is a member of the House of Mercy Church, which is on the reservation at Bishop. And, um, and, and, uh, and you know what she does for church? This is the ministry she does at church. She's a Sunday school teacher for the little kids. She's been doing that for years. 
What does she do for the Lord? What she loves, loves, loves doing for the Lord? Teaching Sunday school for little children. That's what she loves to do. Um, let me tell you a little bit more about her life. Um, she was born, I think, in about in the late 50s. Um, and she grew up in the early 60s. Um, her, her parents took her to church. I think her mom was definitely a believer. I think her dad was a believer too. She grew up in a church on the reservation. It's called the Four Square Indian Mission Church. And today, it's a really sad thing. There's this building on the corner of the reservation, Barlow and Diaz. There's this, uh, this brown building. It's all boarded up, and it hasn't been served and been used as a church for, I think, um, um, for decades, quite frankly. But that was the church she grew up in. And um, she had a lot of great teaching. She had numerous people who, like, invested in her, and she came to faith when she was quite young. Right? But um, let me just try to jump ahead. She gets to, she finishes, she graduates high school. She goes off to college. She didn't have this grand plan. She's going to go off to college. Someone said, you should go to this school. She had no idea what school that was. It was really strange. She ended up going to Brigham Young. She wasn't a Mormon, anything like that. She had no real guidance for college or a future. She heard that there was like, you know, uh, there was some scholarship, etc. She goes off to the school. She's only there for one year. And there she met a young man, and she fell in love with this young man. She brings this guy. He's Native American. He wasn't in the college. Um, he was uh, six years older than her. And, um, you know, she brought this boyfriend home back to Bishop. He's Native, so he's like, you know, he's comfortable coming back to Native American reservation. He's actually from South Dakota. And um, she said that she, she fell in love with him because um, he made her laugh. <laughs> it's a, a lot of people fall in love with their spouse over that. It's just we laughed all the time. He was really, really funny. <laughs> and, um, and they fell in love. They got married. And, um, and then, you know, they, they, they had a child. Um, but um, it, it, it didn't turn out it didn't turn out good. Um, turns out that he had a drinking problem. He's a pretty serious alcoholic. And um, she was very gentle about it, and she didn't tell me, like, you know, some of the pain points. And she said, you know, I don't actually remember a lot of certain things. And she says, my sister would tell me stories. This happened and this happened. And she was like, oh, yeah, did that happen? She was like, are you kidding? How can you not remember those things? And and she thinks that some of those things were perhaps so traumatic that she doesn't remember them. And I can imagine. And she told this story um, that there was finally there was an incident where he took her, you know, her father's van. Her father was, a, was an auto mechanic and ran a body shop on the reservation. And he took the van and then he wrecked it because, because he was drunk. And that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And um, so about four years into her relationship, she said, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And so she asked him to leave, and he did. And he went back to South Dakota. Um, there's actually a bit of a bittersweet happy ending to that. A number of years later, um, her mother, who's a believer, her mother was a tribal councilwoman, a leader at the Big Pine tribe, 
And she'd go to these Native American conferences around the country. She bumped into her ex-husband many years later. He has in crutches, and, um, and she basically you know, saw him again, hadn't seen him in years. And right there, he wasn't a believer when they got married, hadn't been a believer for years and years. And, um, and she led him to the Lord. And just a little bit before he passed away, because he had um, all the alcohol abuse and all the, and he had diabetes, he, he died at the age of 40. And, um, and she said, this is, you could tell she is very grateful that her ex-husband came to Jesus, right? The father of her oldest child. Right? So, she, she also said, you know, she talks about how her daughters grew up in the church and like she, you know, her daughter goes to this church and in this church they, they teach you should marry a Christian. You're a Christian, you should marry a Christian, f- find someone who really loves Jesus and has certain virtues, has certain convictions. And she said, but when I was growing up, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of that. And um, she, you know, that's just how she ended up in her first marriage. And it's pretty common on the reservation, people don't know any of that. Well, by the way, people outside the reservation, they don't, it's like the, we are the reservation now. In, in American Christian churches today, it's like people don't even know these things. And it is, and the pain, you know, like we're, you know, Gina Joneses today are growing up and, um, and ending up in broken marriages, right? So that's one. Go, the story goes on. So after that, she's, I think, about 24 years old. She falls back with an old boyfriend. She, had, she really was in love with this, this man who was on the reservation. It was like, I think she said it was like, he was the first love of my life. I fell back in love with him again, and we got into this relationship, and um, he wasn't a Christian. He was a very traditional, the way she put a traditional native, and he didn't believe in Jesus, and... Um, and he wasn't going to commit to me, but I, I didn't want to let him go. And she ended up having two children with him. And she found out some really painful stuff later on about how he was with this other woman and had another child with this other woman. And um, so it's sad to say, but those are these kinds of things are not uncommon on the Native American reservation today and apparently back then too. And so she experienced these pains. She's a Christian. So there's this point where she said, so I went, I went running back to church and went running back to the women of the church and I went back to my pastors and I said, Jesus, I've messed up again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I didn't know. And this is, this is, what, this is where her life was. So she's about 28 years old. She's a single mother. Um, she's a single mother, she has three children, and she said that she was receiving welfare checks from TANF. So for those of you who don't know what TANF stands for, it stands for Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. It's a federal program, and a lot of people on the Native American Reservation know what TANF is. Maybe you don't know what it is, but a lot of people do. And so she goes, I, was, I didn't have, I had no husband, I had no job, um, I had three children, and I was just trying to get my life back together. I was serving at the church, doing the books for the church. And she said, 
So at the time, you know, here she is at the Indian, you know, um, you know, the Four Square Indian Mission Church. Pastor was a guy named Timothy Treadwell. I asked, was he native? And she goes, I, I think so. She said, if you ask his wife, she would say he's black. <laughs> but if you ask him, he would have said he's native. <laughs> so I think he, he must be black native. <laughs> and um, because his wife was black. And she was close to his wife. And she says, well, he's black. Well, he's native. So I think he's, she says, the way she described him was he's black Choctaw. Not Paiute, black Choctaw. But she was close to his wife. And one day, when she's living her life in this way, this, this lady, she's funny, she was, she was black. She was like, girl, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? You should be, you should go back to school. What are you doing here? You're too smart. You shouldn't be doing this, waiting for your welfare check. You should go back to school. And here's what Gina said. She said, nobody had ever said that to me before. Nobody had ever said that to me before. So she went around and found out there was a program on the reservation which gave scholarship for some kind of supplemental vocational training. So she she, you know, she thought, okay, well, some kind of, I'll get some kind of vocational training. She applied for that, found out they didn't have it. Okay, all the, the funds are gone. But they said, if you want to go to college, we got money for that. She's like, college? I don't know if I'm good enough for college. So that's how she started to apply to college. She ended up going to Humboldt State and doing liberal studies degree, and then pursuing a teacher's credential. And so she moved up to Humboldt State, which is near Eureka. It's like, like very far from Bishop. And she started a college degree at the age of 28, 29, single mother with three children. She did not even know this. She said, when I started, that they had this thing, they had this called like in, infant and young children's program at the college. because I had no idea they even had this. So apparently, if you have young children, they had daycare for you. And when she showed up there, she said, it was just the Lord. The Lord just had this laid out for me. And for the first year, she couldn't find a church. But then there was this Native American woman that was like, <laughs> um, I want to say, it's like in, in the... There's a small church filled with a bunch of different Native Americans of multiple different tribes. And um, the woman, it was, a, it was led by a woman whose name was interesting, Darylin. And she started going to that church. She would take her kids, basically drive up to this town about an hour and a half. She would drive an hour and a half, spend the weekend there to go to that church. I want you to think, think about that. Why was she doing that? Here's what I think. She's already ran her life, building her own identity, choosing her own promises and her own dreams, and she decided, no more. It's got to be with Jesus. It's got to be with Jesus. So she found a church where she felt like she could be shepherded. It's not a big church, not a famous church, but it's a place where she could receive the gospel. And in those next few years, she got her degree. She ended up getting a master. Well, she get a master's, I think. And then she ended up getting her teach. I think she got. I'm not sure if she got a master's. She got a teaching credential. 
she's told me uh, numerous other stories of these miraculous, I mean, apparently jobs were very, she told me about this one portion where there were six job openings, 200 applicants. She thought she had no chance to get one of these jobs. The Lord got her one of those jobs. She got this job, and it wasn't even a full-time job. So she gets this part-time job, <laughs> and it was on a reservation. And then, she's, just as she's starting the job, the other woman that they picked over her quit. <laughs> so she quits. So they're like, oh, do you want the full-time job? She's like, sure. That's how she got her first real teaching job. So her career is starting in her 30s. Single mother. Three children, you know. I think by this point she gets remarried, has another child. It's sad to say that marriage didn't work out very well either. He was alcoholic. And she goes, I guess, she even said it. She goes, I guess I'm attracted to, I don't know better or something. Here's Gina. A godly, holy woman who just straight up say to me with honesty, I guess I just didn't know any better. Let me just... Uh, I need to get toward the end of my message. So, in her early 30s, after her divorce from her husband, her second husband, she comes back to Bishop. She's hurting again. And her career begins. I would say that's where the beginning of where Gina started becoming Gina. Or maybe spiritually it's where it started up there in Northern California. She comes back to Bishop. And she begins to live inside of magnificent promises. She ends up becoming um, a middle school teacher at the Big Pine Middle School. She told me this really interesting thing. The other teachers liked the quote-unquote good kids, the high-performing kids. But the kids I had an eye for were the angry kids, the fatherless kids, the bad kids. That's who she had eyes for. And then later on from that, because she had a teaching credential, she ended up getting hired at OVCDC because that's where they're going to train people to move toward like having bigger dreams and bigger careers, see? Her whole life is about offering people bigger dreams and bigger careers, bigger hopes. It's so appropriate that she's the director on the reservation for that. And then over time, later on, she could see that there was needs for, like, serving. She joined, she joined, um, she joined this uh, committee on her, on her tribe that would help people to, again, you know, like tribal enrollment and then opportunities. And then that led her to the tribal council. And then bit by bit, there was some huge problems that then led her into, like, even more prominent leadership. She was never looking for power. She was never looking to become a big shot. But... Bit by bit, this steady, virtuous, brotherly affection and love, holiness from Jesus, led her into more and more responsibility and career. And I want to just close with something she said, all right? Um, I want to close with something she said. So let me get to it. She said this. She says, the bottom line in my life is the Lord. She said, I just love the people. I just love all my people. 
She means all her people. And when she says all her people, she means the broken ones, the fatherless ones, the hurting ones, the ones on drugs. She says she loves all of them. And she goes, if it was up to me, I, I just, I want them all to get saved. That's the way she puts it. <laughs> if it was up to me, I'd want them all to get saved. But since she can't get them to get saved, you know what she does? All her energies, everywhere that she goes, whether it's being a Sunday school teacher at church or being a tribal council leader or being the director of career planning, uh, you know, career planning, they're a very, very important agency. She's always trying to bless them, serve them. Zero BS, total gentleness, virtue, steadfastness. And where does this all come from? It's because in her is this tremendous love of Jesus for her people. And Jesus' love for her people is so powerful in her that she, this is what she does. She's tireless. She's utterly tireless. You could just like, things have happened in her life that would like knock most of us down. We'd say, I can't take it anymore. I want to quit. But there's no quit in this lady. And there's, so many problems and so many pains and so many hurts. And yet there is such a joy. There's such a love. There's such a perseverance. There's such affection, brotherly affection, filled with a love that you cannot believe. So brothers and sisters, let's go to the table of the Lord today. And I want you to think about what kind of a life do you want? What kind of a life do you want? What kind of a destiny do you want? I hope that I could be half as good as Jane Jones one day. Huh. One day. But if I could be something like Gina Jones, that would be a life. And I hope you would think that so too. And would you dare to ask Jesus, make me like Gina. Make me like Jesus through your great and magnificent promises. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. Lord, our lives are filled with so much worldly dreams, selfish dreams. We think we're going to have big things and there's not going to be some Glorious pursuit, Lord, and a tremendous training and growth. And yet there are tremendous people, if we have eyes to see, who have undergone and walked in the great and magnificent promises of Jesus and have tasted something of holiness. So today, as we go to your table... We pray, I pray that your blood will wash away all our selfish and hypocritical and very, very worldly desires. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and through your gospel promises, would you put in us new dreams and new desires to seek a new identity and a new destiny from the resurrection from Jesus, like Gina like Chuck Colson. Something far bigger and glorious 
and worthy of you, worthy of us, what you want to give us. In Jesus' name, amen.